Welcome to Raiders of the Lost Podcast, one of the fastest growing movie podcasts in the world, where we discuss all things film. On this episode, we discuss Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Released in 2005, directed by Mike Newell, screenplay by Steve Cloves, adapted from the book from J.K. Rowling. What is up, everyone? Welcome back to the show. This is Anthony. And this is James, and today we're continuing our Harry Potter series. We're doing the Goblet of Fire today, and this film follows Harry competing in the dangerous Triwizard Tournament for mysterious reasons no one can explain, while also dealing with terrifying nightmares of his enemy Lord Voldemort and girls. Great job with that uh, synopsis. Thanks, I appreciate I love it. it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I'd say the girls and and Voldemort are equal pretty, pretty balanced yeah. for, for fear in, in yeah. Harry's yeah. eyes, instilling fear in his heart. He might yeah. be more afraid of Cho Chang than Voldemort. <laughs> <laughs> that scene when he's trying to ask her to the, to the dance like four times. We'll go to the dance with me. <laughs> with the owls, <laughs> yeah. he screams it at her. Didn't catch that. <laughs> But um, Goblet's a great, great movie, and it actually, even though Quaron shook things up with the uh, Azkaban, I think Mike Newell and what the the filmmakers did with this one is they they doubled down on the darkness, and they have to because this is where the books start turning, becoming more mature and adult, and the themes get very dark. Like, we get the Death Eaters in this, we get Voldemort, we get uh, people are dying in this one, so there's real threats in the wizarding world, and they, they rolled it out slowly, the dangers, but now with this film... We're understanding what the stakes for the entire wizarding community are. It, op- it opens up with a death and murder. Yeah. And this was actually the first Harry Potter film that was rated PG-13. So things, like you said, start getting dark, and, and the tone is is a lot more sinister. You know, the, things are starting to spin, and obviously we have eventually the rebirth of Lord Voldemort by the end of the film, which is the best scene in the entire movie for sure. Yeah. Um, I think that this movie, for me, probably ranks in the lower ends of the films for, if I had to rank them. Not meaning it's a bad movie. Goblet of Fire is fantastic. But I think filmmaking-wise, they took a step back from Prisoner of Azkaban because, I mean, Alfonso Cuaron is not directing your movie, so obviously you can't really compete with that. And also, it seems like this movie, there's so much to cover. There's so much to go over for the future of the franchise. It's hard to fit everything in because this book, after Azkaban, this is this is when the book started getting immense. This is like a, the, the biggest book, I think, of them all. Yes, or Order the longest, of Phoenix. Uh, Order's the longest. This is the second longest. It's like 720 pages. Yeah. It's absurd. I would I would rank Goblet might be my... It's. I think it's better than Order, the film, and I think it's better than Chamber Secrets. So I would put it at, and it's better than Deathly Hallows Part One. So I would put it at maybe like number five. Bold move, yeah, Cotton. Number Bold five. move, but or I, even four, because <laughs> in a lot of ways it's better than um, Part Two of Deathly Hallows. I think just the filmmaking is a little, a little different than it. It, it kind of remember reminds me of the first two, and also director Mike Newell. He didn't read the book, so I think that really? might be a weakness to the film. Maybe he doesn't understand. The full magic of the story. And he was an odd choice. Yeah, he didn't have too many big movies on his name. He had done a lot of like British adaptations, and I mean, the other biggest movie he did was Prince of Persia. And he's a decent director, but I thought he was. I've always thought he was a kind of a strange choice for the film for the franchise because well, I mean, David Yates also kind of unknown, but he is a very talented director. Yeah, but you gotta remember that they're making these every year, yeah. and you can't get all these directors. You know, directors are booked for years at a time, and they're. Their schedules are difficult to get two years of work out of them, you know. So oh, I think point. they're, they're yeah. limited who they can select. But I mean, he did a, a very good job with having to make a Harry Potter movie in a year and a half. Yeah, I just want to go to go over the uh, the critic ratings and audience ratings of Goblet. Oh, let's roll. This is our, our new thing. We're going to start doing every episode. So the Rotten Tomatoes critic score was eighty eight percent, which is very good. 
And then the audience score was 74%, which is still very good. Pretty close in line with um, the, the critics, which generally doesn't happen too C's often. De- C's get degrees. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then the IMDb user score is 7.7, which is very good. That's pretty high for IMDb. Yeah, for a Harry Potter movie, I yeah. feel like. And then the Metacritic score is 81, which is fantastic for Metacritic. Yeah, this movie overall, like I said, there's so much to cover. But also, I, I, I love critics because some of them are so negative and so snotty and snobby and... Uh, sometimes the the rotten reviews, like, they go a little overboard with how they describe Oh, the you movies. got some first? I have some for us. Yeah, yeah, I have a couple. Okay, so this is a critic, Fernando Croce from Cinepassion. So this is his, his uh, headline for Goblet of Fire. Chapter 4 in the Boy Wizard franchise, and still no good scenes, interesting characters, or true imagination. Wow. That's pretty bold. That's pretty cynical. For the entire franchise... He went in there angry. Yeah, like he walked into this movie wanting to hate it. Like, how could you say that Harry Potter has no interesting characters That's or imagination? He must hate all of them, too. Yeah. This guy must just hate everything. He's got a passion, sin of passion for it. <laughs> and then Nick Shager, he wrote, It's so bloated and joyless that it makes one pine for the bland mediocrity of Chris Columbus. Oh, my God. <laughs> These pe- See, that's the thing. We hate critics because they've never made anything in their entire lives besides hateful comments yeah. and, and reviews about movies that they could never dream to create in their own personal lives. Yeah, like those people clearly aren't happy about anything. Yeah. Like what good movies do they even enjoy? Who knows? Anyways, before we continue, the best way to support Raiders of the Lost podcast is to share us with your family and friends and become a patron at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost podcast. Patrons get awesome perks like personalized videos. You get to see our podcast schedules for upcoming episodes. Top tier patrons get a monthly shout out on the podcast, which we just did for the Prisoner of Azkaban episode. And the best perk of all is every patron, $2, $5, $10 tier, you have access to our weekly bonus episodes of the show. So we've done movies like Dead Poets Society. We did our top favorite TV shows of all time. Princess Bride. Princess Bride. So only patrons have access to that. Head on over to our website, RaidersOfTheLostPodcast.com, to check out all of our sources of content, our merch, our custom movie posters. You can become a patron there. And also, follow, subscribe. Wherever you're listening, if you're watching on YouTube, subscribe there, too, and hit the notification bell, please. Leave five-star reviews, too. Oh, yeah, big time. And something I really love about Goblet of Fire, it's just clear off the get-go, is the hair. Oh, yeah. The hair in this movie for everyone is ridiculous. Every movie has a different style, yeah. you know? And we were it, This was like when we were 14, 15 when this came out, and it, long hair was in back then. Big time. And everyone's got just mops on their head. I love it, especially like the Weasley twins. Their hair is insane. They look like rock stars. The Weasleys are... the Fred and George, this is like their biggest movie. They, yeah. They're all over this film. Obviously, in Order of the Phoenix, they have a big role to play in terms of the disruption of Dolores Umbridge at Hogwarts mm-hmm. and the Ministry of Magic and causing mayhem. But Fred and George are all over this movie, and they're so freaking funny because Azkaban, they're kind of in it. You know, they give Harry the Marauder's map, and they're here and there, but they have a lot to do in, in Goblet of Fire. And they're much more present in the books. Yeah. yeah. And they're always in the background, it seems, in the scenes, whereas the other films are not really usually there. I think that the filmmakers, they were like, you know what, we need to tap into the Weasleys because they're they're so rich with characters. Yeah, they're so sure. fun. Fred yeah. and George are, are really iconic, and they're, yeah. they're hilarious. And But this, this movie is like, this is like the coming-of-age teenage hormones, like, uh, com- teen comedy version of the franchise. They're starting to mature. Yeah. You know, they're going through puberty. Yeah, yeah. So then we have the Yule Ball in this film, which is so fun because you get to see like boys at a dance interacting with girls at a dance, and how nerve wracking it is. And and guys are terrified of girls. Like yeah. every guy age eleven <laughs> to sixteen. Absolutely terrified of women. Yeah, whenever we went to a school dance, it was like all the girls were on one side and all the boys were on one side of the room. And, and then like, you have there's like, an empty space in the middle. And then like 
a couple of the people who are actually dating are dancing. Yeah. And then everyone else is like uh, watching them. Yeah, yeah. Just watching them. You're listening to Nelly <laughs> drinking, play. Drinking your Roy Rogers. <laughs> Country grammar's on. <laughs> I remember I walked, we went to this, it was a place called the, the Moose Lodge, the Elks Club. No, it was the Moose. Moose Lodge. And they had a little bar, and I would go to the bar and order a Roy Rogers because I thought I was so mature. Like, I'm not getting a Coke. I'm getting a Roy Rogers. <laughs> Roy Rogers is Coke with uh, grenadine. <laughs> it's like a Shirley Temple instead of Sprite, you do Coca-Cola. <laughs> but what, what's cool about the U-Ball in this uh, film, it's like the filmmaker Uwe Ball, U-Ball, <laughs> is um, the, the band is actually real musicians, and Johnny Greenwood, the guitarist for Radiohead and the fantastic composer, of all PTA's recent movies, he's actually plays guitar in that band for the school. It's yeah. super fun. So yeah, Johnny Greenwood's awesome. So I think he did two or three songs yeah, that are on the full album the songs, too. Yeah. Which is really cool. But this movie, I love the opening of it because we have a very dark opening with Voldemort killing that muggle. And we don't, what we don't realize yet is that this is the riddle house that Voldemort is in with Peter Pettigrew and this mysterious man we don't know. But also... One of the downsides to the book and movie is no Quidditch at school, but we do have the Quidditch World Cup, which is wild because you see, I think this is the first time we get a, a glimpse at the massive community of the Wizarding World. We've never seen it on this scale. Like, we've been to Diagon Alley. We've seen large groups of them, but, like, in an entire stadium full of Wizards. It's just so cool to see. It's a great opening to the story. And also, the, a big difference is there's no Dursleys in this one. Apparently, I read that. Uh, the the actors who played the Dursleys, they wanted more money. Mm -hmm. And then the filmmakers were like, no, that's not going to happen. So they just cut them out of the film. <laughs> you don't need them. Yeah, you don't need them for some of the movies, not at all. You can yeah. show the journey of Harry waking up at Privet Drive like he always does in the beginning of yeah. the first six books and then making it to the Weasleys to go to the World Cup and like the exchange of like the phone calls and stuff like that but, with Ron trying yeah. to call him. But we've done it three times already, so yeah. we don't need to do it again. So I love how it opens up with Harry's already with the Weasleys. Like they're hanging out like it's he, – he obviously spent summer at home, but – comes to the Weasleys a couple of weeks before school starts. Yeah, and so we love the Weasleys. It's so fun to see them and then, like, their tent and everything like that. And you see, like, more magical, more of magic and more of the magical world. Yeah. And, and we have more new characters like, like Mad-Eye Moody. We have Cedric Diggory, Victor Crumb, Barty Crouch, Barty Crouch Jr., Kakaroff. So we have a ton of new characters in this film as well. Yeah, and David Tennant, who was the Doctor. The Do Doctor. Doctor. He, Alora. Yeah, he was a great addition to the cast. That I was think his he, tagline. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Alora. Right. Alora. Yeah. I loved him as Barty Crouch Jr. He did a fantastic job. And, but I, I love Mad-Eye Moody. He's one of my favorite characters in the whole franchise. He's so fun. He's just like this old-school badass aura. And he's just, uh, I think, too old to keep doing it. But he's just such a fun character. Brendan Gleeson is fantastic. He's a great actor. Brendan Gleeson steals this entire movie. Yeah. He takes it and he runs away and yeah. locks it in a safe because he's that good in this movie yeah. as Mad-Eye Moody. And the, the cool thing about the character of Mad-Eye Moody, obviously this movie, this episode is going to have a ton of spoilers, guys. So if you haven't seen this movie. It's a 15-year-old movie. Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, we like to give warnings. We get yelled at all the time on TikTok and YouTube. You spoiled The Godfather. How dare you? But I Mad was going to watch it this weekend. It's such an interesting character because we meet Mad-Eye. He's so cool and interesting, but he also his methods are on Orthodox, and you know he turns Malfoy into a ferret. But the whole movie in book, it's not even Mad Eye Moody; mm -hmm. it's Barty Crouch Jr. doing an impression of him. Yeah, so it's yeah. what's fascinating about the character. So we never really spend too much time with the real Mad Eye Moody until like later on in Deathly Hollows, and we learn more about him. But I still think that it's probably a, a lot of how, uh, very much how Mad Eye is. I'm sure that yeah. Barty Crouch knows exactly what he's like. Yeah, he's know? probably spent so much time with him, either uh, studying when he was him. growing, yeah, studying him and, and being in, in in ministry when he was uh, still innocent, yeah. th thought to be innocent. So I'm sure 
he spent enough time with Mad-Eye to understand what he was like. Yeah, I think that's what a lot and, of Dark Wizards do before they take the personality and polyjuice of someone else. They'll study them to cap copy their mannerisms. I bet Daniel Day-Lewis could like would love to have polyjuice potion. <laughs> <laughs> he doesn't need polyjuice potion, that man. He actually does. About? He does his own thing. He's the human yeah. polyjuice yeah. potion. <laughs> he just puts a bit of his own hair in his water. He just makes it. He just drinks Mountain Dew Code Red. <laughs> 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 but I, I love this film because it, like I said, is very dark and it shows. That the community, Voldemort's not just, isn't the only bad wizard. Obviously, we saw Lucius in, in um, Chamber, but we get our first uh, sight of Death Eaters. And Death Eaters are, they were the followers of the Dark Lord, and, and they did whatever he, they did his bidding, and they wanted to take control of the wizarding world just like he did. And it's like it's a militia of evil witches and wizards who just want to uh, kill and take over the entire community, and it's it's such a great scene when they attack the the, the camps the campgrounds because it's intense. It's, they feel, did a great job filming it. Like you've never seen everyone in this kind of danger. You see Harry in danger all the time, but just to see so many innocents in danger by these evil wizards and witches was really striking. Yeah, and then the dark mark goes into the sky, which hadn't been cast in since before Voldemort died or was destroyed by Harry Potter. And a really fascinating point to piggyback on that is Mad-Eye Moody's first lesson with Defense Against the Dark Arts that we see is he's talking about these Death Eaters and how they've returned and, and how there are dark wizards out there wanting to do harm to innocent people and how a lot of them pretended that they were either in under the Imperious Curse. So we learn about the Unforgivable Curses, and one of them is the Imperious Curse, which basically you can control somebody's mind and everything, all their behavior. And so a lot of them got away with their crimes by saying that they were under the Imperious but then we also get the concept of people ratting other Death Eaters out, like Kakaroff. Like, the first time we finally go into the pensive with Dumbledore, and Harry, he has Harry go into that memory of his to watch that proceeding, the court proceeding of Kakaroff, and he gives up Barty Crouch Jr. So we learn more about Death Eaters. Kakaroff was a Death Eater. We learn more that Snape was a Death Eater, too, because both of their dark marks are starting to get more bold and prominent on their forearms. So it's this great concept of who was really evil and who wasn't. And also, the Pensieve is a uh, foreshadow to what we'll get a lot of in Half-Blood Prince. And we already went into Memories and Chamber with the diary, but Dumbledore's Pensieve is going to play a big part with Harry learning about um, what he his journey is going to end up entailing and also learning more about Tom Riddle as he grows up. And Tom Riddle, at this point, Voldemort, he's he's he looks like that being he is when he's in limbo. Mm -hmm. He looks very similar to yeah. that that type type of body. Not quite human, yeah, exactly. not quite alive. Yeah. Just it, a soul with like some sort of form. Yeah, it's probably living in uh pain constantly. Mm -hmm. And and it's 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 clearly shows that even though we we haven't been seeing what's going on because he wasn't involved in Azkaban, clearly what's happening what happened after Azkaban, they're bringing him back to life in some capacity and someone must have helped him Probably Pettigrew, well, yeah, and, Pettigrew and, and, and Barty, Barty Crouch. Crouch. They created this life form for him to live within. And then he has Nagini there, too. I can't remember exactly what the magic's being used. They describe in the book that's keeping him alive to this point, like in some sort of being-like form. I can't mm. remember what it yeah, is. Yeah, I, there's something to it, yeah. But, um, but also, this shows the connection between Harry and Voldemort to see what Voldemort sees. Yeah, because Harry thinks— yeah. At first, he thinks it's just a nightmare— but he's being, he begins to learn that he can see within Voldemort's mind. He's having more and more of these nightmares throughout the entire film. It's something he's trying to deal with. And again, throughout his entire story, he's dealing with the concept, is 
is there more to me and Voldemort? Are we more connected than I want to be? And he's learning about this connection, which he eventually uses to, he figures out to use into a weapon because at first Voldemort's the first one to learn into it. And he's trying to look into Harry's mind, which we see in Order of the Phoenix, but then he can't stand the, the pain of being inside Harry bo- Harry's body because of the love of his mother coursing through his veins, and then Harry eventually uses it as a weapon against Voldemort to spy onto him. So it's a it's great it's a great connection, which we also learn more about at the end of the film in the in the graveyard scene. Not the only the connection between them, but the connection between their wands, which happens at the end. I would. Re- do you want to talk about Voldemort right now? Let's. I mean, I, let's just get right why into not? it. Why not? It's the best part of the freaking movie. Yeah, it's his rebirth is one of the best parts of the entire franchise and story. They did a fantastic job with it. It was very disturbing, and I I don't think they could have done a better job with the character design because it's different from the books. Yes, he has snake-like features, but he also has red eyes with slits for pupils. And, in the books. Yeah, in the books, and I think that was a, a wise decision not to do that because by keeping Ray Fine's eyes, you have a connection to him in some capacity, a human connection to the, the actual actor performing. And I think if he had those red evil eyes... We wouldn't have had that connection as an audience to character. Yeah, and this scene's really important because we learn obviously more about Voldemort, but also we learn more about how Harry destroyed Voldemort and then more about the arrogance of Voldemort. And what I'm talking about is Voldemort still, to this point, doesn't understand the power of love. And he thinks that He's t- he's trying to learn about it. He's trying to understand the concept, but he's not fully there he's yet. He's just reading the cliff notes. Yeah, he's, he's got the Spark Notes book on what is love in the magical world. <laughs> he's like pukes every time he opens a page because he hates love. He, he <laughs> it disgusts him. Love disgusts Voldemort. And so he thinks that, all right, so love is the reason why Harry beat me in Sorcerer's Stone. When and it I was, wasn't even his doing. Yeah, like, so, it, was so his, it was his mother. It's his mother's love, that protection. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to take that protection of love that's coursing through Harry Potter's veins and use that blood to make myself what I'll believe to be invincible to Harry Potter, and he'll never be able to stop me. But what he doesn't realize is this this gives Harry even more power over him. Voldemort's hubris is his desire to show his dominance, especially towards Harry, because he understands that the wizarding world is... No, thinks that Harry defeated him, and he's the boy who lived, and um, he's jealous of Harry in a lot of ways. He doesn't like it, and he wants to prove the fact that he's the greater wizard and that he's more powerful and that Harry's just a boy who was lucky because his mom performed very old magic that Voldemort wasn't aware that she was capable of, and that's why he wants to do the duel himself rather than— he could have had any Death Eater uh, attack Harry. He could chop Harry's yeah. head off yeah. with a sword. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Any, he could have anything happen to Harry, but instead, he was like, I'm going to battle him in a duel, and I'm going to defeat him on my own so I can prove that once and for all, I really am the most powerful wizard of all time. And that's, that hubris is what allows Harry to create that connection with their wands, and which prevents Voldemort from even being able to kill him at this point in, which the, is in the story. Which is an axe, and Harry doesn't yeah. do it on purpose. He doesn't yeah. understand how it's yeah. happening because he's doing the Expelliarmus charm, which is, you know, we learn is his trademark. And, and Voldemort, for the rest of the series, he begins, trying to, he begins trying to figure out what's going on. And at first he thinks it's the wand, and that's why he uses Malfoy's wand in Deathly Hallows, but he doesn't understand that he inadvertently created this connection with Harry, which makes him incapable of literally killing him until he kills the Horcrux within Harry first. And then, as we learn, Harry has the other one, so he smashes Voldemort up at the end of the movie. Oh, yeah, big time. But, and I love how Voldemort's brought to life, which we talked about in Azkaban, 
by Peter Pettigrew. He's the one who who goes and finds Voldemort, and him and Barty Crouch work together. But Peter Pettigrew is the one who who creates the spell. He creates that potion in the cauldron and dumps him inside, and uses the blood of the enemy and and the the flesh of the father or something like that. He uses Tom Riddle Senior's bone because yeah. it's Tom Riddle's grave that they're at, and um, he creates Voldemort. But Voldemort explains to him, "You're not loyal. You did it out of fear." And then, he, oh, he also has to use the flesh of the servant, so he cuts off um, yeah, his, own hand. his own hand to do that. And that's what Pettigrew doesn't understand, that he's, he just doesn't follow Voldemort out of loyalty. It's out of fear. But still, Voldemort rewards him with the that metallic golden hand, I mean, silver hand, mm. which comes into play later on in Deathly Hallows. Yeah, big time. And I adore Ray Fiennes' performance. I think he did an unbelievable job. He was perfect for the role, just like we always say. Everyone's perfectly cast in this. And Ray Fiennes, what he brought to the role— he, he's so sinister, his voice, the way he moves. I think that it's one of my favorite performances in the entire series. You could say he's the best. Uh, his role as Voldemort is the best acting in the entire entire saga. And I just think that he knocked it out of the park. And apparently, uh, to, the, to this day, whenever he meets children, they're terrified of him. Oh, I'd be too. <laughs> I'd be terrified. We actually just watched Hurt Locker. He's awesome in that yeah. too. And the graveyard scene is epic. But I want to get to... The Triwizard Tournament. Yeah, let's get to it. Want to get right into it? Yeah, we'll go into it. And I, <laughs> go, let's go into it. And the biggest thing that we learned big, at first is that there are other schools. At this point, we didn't really know that there's like wizarding communities outside of the UK or in the books. They yeah. like Hermione yeah. hints at it, like yeah. it's in Hogwarts history or like yeah. that. But the, in this in this film, we get the the two the two other schools, Durmstrang and Bobaton. Durmstrang and Bobent. Bobaton. Bobaton. Yeah. And in the movie, it makes it seem like the the schools are girls only and boys only, but actually they are co-ed schools. I think it's just in the film they wanted to change things up a little. And you can make a knock on this movie. One of the weirdest parts of the movies is like the opening dance numbers that the schools have when they come into the Hogwarts uh, hall. It's interesting uh, up to the point where the Hogwarts kids do nothing. Like the Durmstrangs <laughs> come in and they have like this like cool like choreography and like with the stabbing their staffs. And Crum, Crum walks in with like a bear coat. Crum, Crum. It's, it's kind of weird. And then the Bobaton come in with their their routine as well. And then the Hogwarts kids are just sitting there drinking pumpkin juice, like cool. But I, I think there's a deleted scene where the Hogwarts students are singing the the Hogwarts Hoggy, song. Hoggy Hogwarts. But like that would look bad too. So yeah. it's. It's kind of weird, but I guess it's a movie. You gotta, you know, make it exciting. It's like when uh, we went to camp and you had to do like at the end of camp, you had to do like a dance, yeah, with a song <laughs> with a pop song. <laughs> oh my god! So it's it's just posturing, I guess. Yeah, I guess. Uh, but I love the Triwizard Tournament, and it, once again, like these kids are being put into horribly dangerous situations over and over again. And this, w- the tournament, what does it happen every fifty years? Something like that. Yes, it's like not. It's not even every decade. It's such a sparing uh, number of times it's ever happened. Yeah, because in the books, all the parents are like, you're so lucky to be able to experience this. And the Triwizard Tournament, it's so cool and interesting because, of course, it eliminates all like other Hogwarts activities like like Quidditch. We don't see any of that at the school. Do we even get any classes in this one? No, they have classes. All the kids are going. They're not just hanging out. No, watching. no, no. Do we see any classes? I'm in, trying to remember. In the movie? Yeah. Yeah. We, I mean, we have Mad-Eye Moody. Yeah, yeah. But in the one. books, the Durmstrang and Bobaton students are all in the classes with yeah, them, yeah, yeah. so they all go to class together. But obviously, I don't know why they don't do any of that. Yeah, they're not in the in the scenes with the Hogwarts kids. Yeah, but um, the Triwizard Tournament's a binding contract, and obviously Cedric Diggory, we meet him in the beginning of the film. He's the one who goes to the Quidditch World Cup with I'm him and his father. He's, he's <laughs> the Batman. Cedric's a very pleasant young man. He's he's very bright and. Clearly the best student at Hogwarts at the time, which is why he's chosen, and he's worthy of eternal glory. And Victor Crumb and then Flor de la Cour get chosen as well. 
But Harry's name comes out of the Goblet of Fire, too, which shouldn't have happened because you have to be at least 17 years old to enter the Goblet of Fire. And only a very powerful counter curse could have let someone's name that young be put into the Goblet of Fire to deflect Dumbledore's charm. One of my favorite scenes is when the, the Weasley twins try to get their name in the cup. Oh, yeah, when they, the get age turned, potion. they get turned old. <laughs> <laughs> and Hermione's like, Dumbledore, that's an age line. Dumbledore himself drew it. <laughs> and so there's no one understands how Harry's name got into the Goblet of Fire. Harry didn't put it there. He's completely perplexed, too. But also the situation creates tra- drama and confliction between him and Ron because Ron's his best friend. And when his, na- his when Harry's name gets pulled from the Goblet of Fire, Ron feels betrayed that Harry did this without consulting me. He didn't even suggest that maybe I would want to put my name in there, too. What if I want eternal glory? But Harry's trying to tell him, like, bro, I didn't put my name in the Goblet of Fire. I don't want eternal glory. I just want to be me. I just yeah. want to be normal. Yeah, this is this sequence, it's probably like 30 or 40 minutes of this film, which is just when Ron and the others are angry at Harry. It's, the whole school is angry yeah, at Harry. Yeah, it's, it's just awkward. I, it doesn't feel... It, I just hate how it feels. Well, yeah. it's, it's, I mean, it happens in the books, too. It's yeah. similar to Chamber of Secrets when everyone thinks that Harry is the heir of Slytherin after he sends the snake. People think he sends the snake on the... the I always forget. Justin. Justin Fletch something. Flemington. Fle- uh, <laughs> Justin Fletch Flemington. <laughs> he sends the snake on Justin Fletch Flemington. <laughs> that sounds right. And so in Chamber of Secrets, Harry's dealing with everyone thinking he's the heir of Slytherin and thinking that he's attacking all the students. So in this one, the entire school of Hogwarts thinks that he betrayed them all and he's a cheat and he's not even he's only 14 years old. He shouldn't be doing this. He shouldn't be allowed to be in the tournament. He's a kid. Yeah, but he has to compete <laughs> yeah. because it's, binding it's a, binding, a magical binding contract, yeah. just like an unbreakable vow we'll learn about later on. Ooh. But <laughs> even though Ron is mad at him, he's still... Helps Harry out by having him go with Hagrid to see the dragons they, under, and learning that that's the first task. It's just a bummer to see them fight, but it's it's good because you need to change things up in stories when you have all these recurring characters. Any conflict. And so yeah. Harry and Hermione are kind of just working on his his uh, tasks and studying up on what they have to be, what he has to be prepared for, as well as he starts to form a relationship with Neville Longbottom because. What kind of relationship? They're <laughs> just hanging out by the lake and, and hanging out with, with plants and stuff. Weeks. But also, Mad-Eye Moody is kind of pushing that relationship to Bud mm-hmm. for, for other methods. Yeah, and I, I would say my favorite task has to be the dragon. It's badass. It's, it's so insane. Like, Harry Potter defeats a dragon in this movie. It's wild. But it's fortunately, fortunately uh, he gets the message through, like, 17 people. That yeah, yeah. He didn't realize that Ron sent yeah, yeah. to go talk to Hagrid, and Hagrid showed him the Hungarian the dra- tale. And the, the, the good thing is that all the students actually were prepared for this so they all knew that it was going to be dragons because Harry warned Cedric and then um, Hagrid also took the headmaster of Bobaton to see the dragons too because yeah because it was a date yeah Yeah. he's trying to impress her yeah he wore his best furry told floor he wore his best furry tie (laughs) or best furry suit yeah he's got like a yellow tie with dots it's like uh, Fred Flintstone yeah but still when they pull the dragons out of the little bag the miniature versions are all like oh my god I actually have to fight a dragon yeah it's insane I love I love the sequence and then the, the whole sequence of the dragon is one of the best thrilling action sequences of the entire franchise. And I, I love how they did it. Uh, Harry wisely got Accio's broom because that's his strength. I, I, I would. I, it's, well, it's because of Mad Eye Moody. Yeah. Yeah. yeah AK Barty Crouch. Because that's what he's doing. Yeah, yeah. And I, I can't remember. How do the other. Students defeat the dragons. They don't show it in the movie. They don't show it. But in the book, do they? I don't know if they show it in the book. I think the whole time. 
I could be wrong, but I think the whole time Harry's just back and listening to yeah, the listening megaphone. To, yeah. And, like, same thing with hap- what yeah. happens in the movie. Yeah, I think you might be right. Yeah. And also, I love Rita Skeeter. Yeah, Rita Skeeter. She's so funny. She's uh, she's the comedic relief of this movie that it needed. Because Ron isn't a comedic relief in yeah. this film at all. I think that's why it's, I don't like that part of the of the film, because Ron is not funny in this movie. And he doesn't bring that levity. He is funny, like, at moments yeah. when, when they're back together being buds, which but for, like, 35 minutes, they're, yeah. they're in strife and they don't talk at all. Yeah, but Rita Skeeter's great. Yeah, she's hysterical. With the, the pen writing its own stuff. He's like, my eyes aren't watering with the ghosts of my past. <laughs> <laughs> a young boy of 12, 14. <laughs> so she's hysterical and really funny. Yeah. And she comes into play later on. So she's actually an important figure for Harry and his relationship or what he thinks was a relationship with Dumbledore later on when he's dealing with that belief that Dumbledore was keeping things from him and didn't really truly love him like he thought he did. Yeah, exactly. And let's take a moment to talk about one of our favorite sponsors. Let's, let's pause the show and tell you about Manscaped the leaders of men's grooming, and judging by Dumbledore's beard, there are no spells in the wizarding world for men's grooming, but Manscaped, they have changed the game with their lawnmower 4.0 groomer, which just came out. We just got them in a couple weeks ago. We actually have two of them each. They're awesome. This thing is a rocket ship. It has a built-in light. It's waterproof. You can use it in the shower. It's soft to the touch. It's got like 8,000 RPM, which is insane. It doesn't get warm or hot or anything. It's amazing. Fellas, you need to get on Manscaped, get their products. Everyone listening, if you don't, Know what to get your man for, like, a birthday present, a I love you gift, or whatever. For the men in your life, trust Manscaped. They're, it's stuff that guys will actually use and really appreciate. You know what the best thing about the Lawnmower 4.0 is? When you use it, you feel safe using it. Because usually when you use other clippers, you're like, oh, is something going to happen? <laughs> but with this one, you feel prote- it's got, like, a plastic bottom. So it feels like there's you're not in danger at all of pulling anything out. Yeah, not in danger. Like, yeah. <laughs> you're going to bleed out. Yeah. Like- <laughs> <laughs> but I recommend getting your hands on their Performance Package 4.0, which they're sending. They just sent us actually last week. It's a bundle of their products at a lower cost, like their lawnmower, weed whacker, men's wipes, deodorizers, boxers, briefs, T-shirts. So join the over 2 million men worldwide who trust Manscaped. This number is growing, too. With this exclusive offer for you, Raiders of the Lost, at checkout for 20% off and free shipping worldwide, Raiders of the Lost at checkout. Worldwide. Wow. Worldwide. <laughs> I think it's time to move into our intermission. You want to do it? Yeah, yeah let's, let's go. Let's roll. Intermission yeah. time. So intermission, if you're new to the show, is just we have some fun movie trivia games and guessing games. And yeah, let's, let's, let's have some fun. We'll start with the, the movie quote competition. So I'm going to begin with one that I have and also one from a fan. Okay. It's almost a shame to smoke it. It's like killing a unicorn with like a bomb. <laughs> It's Pineapple Express. Yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> it's like killing a unicorn with a bomb. I love that line. All right, and this, and this one's from Liam Horn, and Liam Horn, and this is an awesome one. A staple of the superhero mythology is there's the superhero and there's the alter ego. Batman is actually Bruce Wayne. Spider-Man is actually Peter Parker. When that character wakes up in the morning, he's Peter Parker. He has to put on a costume to become Spider-Man, and it is in that characteristic Superman stands alone. Superman didn't become Superman. Superman was born Superman. When Superman Superman wakes up in the morning, he's Superman. His alter ego is Clark Kent. I know this. Let us know. It's Bill and Kill Bill. Kill Bill 2. Kill Bill 2. Oh, you got it wrong. I didn't get it wrong. I got it wrong. It's the the one movie. He he calls it one movie. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, we do count as one movie. Yeah, Yeah, I'm just messing with you. What is your problem? But that's a great scene when he shoots the true serum into a Beatrix kiddo, and he's letting her know that you're... 
a killer. That's who you are. Your mm-hmm. alter ego is the person who you think when you're not a killer. Yeah, he's he's basically saying that life you tried to have was never going to work out. Yeah. Yeah. All right, it's time for my movie quote. Let's go. <clears throat> it's a long one, too. Ready? It's a fairy tale town, isn't it? How's a fairy tale town not somebody's fucking thing? How can all those canals and bridges and cobbled streets in those churches, all that beautiful fucking fairy tale stuff, how can that not be somebody's fucking thing? Eh? Say it again. It's a fairy. It's a fairy tale town, isn't it? How's a fairy tale? How's a fairy tale town not somebody's fucking thing? How can all those canals and bridges and cobbled streets in those churches, all that beautiful fucking fairy tale stuff, how can that not be somebody's fucking thing? Eh? Um. That a at the end is, is that like a Canadian? <laughs> no, they're uh, British. I don't know, man. In Bruges. Oh, Ray, man, Ray Fiennes' I haven't character. Seen that in so long. Yeah, that's what he's. What Ray Fiennes says about how um, Colin Farrell's character doesn't like it in Bruges. Oh my god! And he thought it was like a perfect place to send them because it's so nice. Yeah, <laughs> man, that's such a good movie. It's a great, it's so film. underrated. Great, should, great. We movie. should cover that soon. Yeah, people ask about that a lot. It's a really, it's really funny. It's so funny. <laughs> like the concept of it. Like the, my favorite scene is when Brendan. If you guys haven't seen it, sorry, spoilers. When Brendan Gleeson is going to assassinate him. He has the gun behind him, and then Colin Farrell's character is about to kill himself. He's like, oh my god, don't do that. <laughs> it's so, so well So instead of letting him kill himself, yeah. <laughs> he stops him. <laughs> he was supposed to kill him. It's so great. Oh, man. If you haven't seen it, watch it. Classic. All and right. I did it because Brendan Gleeson and Ray Fiennes are in it. Yeah. I mean, I should start thinking, like, he always uses the characters in the movies we're talking about. I should run through I their... try to stay relevant most yeah, of the time. Yeah. All right. Guess this movie release year. Train Spotting. That's a good one. I'm going to go with 1998, 1996. Oh, damn. Okay, here's mine. Another Brendan Gleeson one. Braveheart. 1996. 95. 95. Very close. Well, we're really close with our movies we chose. Not bad. All right, movie pop quiz time. This is a funny sentence. What car does Driver... Drive in drive. Ah, oh, what is it? Or what's the car that driver yeah, uses? Yeah, yeah. His, his daily driver, yeah, yeah. not the Mustang, not the Mustang and yeah. not the not, uh, yeah, not the one he gets. Yeah, not the one he, with the with the missions. Huh? It's um. Is it a Chevelle? No, I don't know. Nineteen seventy three Chevy Malibu. Ah, oh. we just made a clip about it. Ah, oh, yeah. I forgot, yeah. <laughs> I think you're the one who made the clip, too. I said it. I did. It was like two weeks ago, bro. <laughs> <laughs> All right, here's my pop quiz. Who played the doctor before David Tennant? Oh. I can't think of their name. He also played the villain in Thor The Dark World. He was the, the dark elf. I don't know his name. Christopher Eccleston. Oh, man, that's a good question. Thanks. That's a good question. Thanks. All right. Let, you want to move on to our biggest hater of the week? Let's do it. It's my favorite. So this one's actually pretty good. So we we posted a clip um, talking about the Imaginarium of Dr. Parnassus, which is Heath Ledger's final film. That was the movie he was filming while he, and he died while filming. Not during, like, on set, yeah. but, like, he, while it was in production. While it was in production. And um, so they actually had to change the script last minute to be able to complete the film and they made it so that the character, when he went into different dimensions, his his form changed. So kind of like the Doctor Who, you could say he like changed his form and his being. And so Johnny Depp, um, Jude Law, and Colin Farrell all played 
the same character to finish the film. And we made a clip about that. And then someone wrote, that was not his last film. Do better research. It's literally his last film. It's his last credit. That's why they recast it. It's his last movie that was made. He died during filming production of the movie. So it's, it's kind of ironic people say to do better research when this is literally a three-second Google search to look it up. So what was your response to them? I said... I just said you are absolutely 100% wrong. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's the best way to do it. What other evidence do you need? They recast, they added actors to finish this, the movie. Dude, all you, just go on his IMDb page. 2000, it was 2000, I think a lot of people think that Dark Knight was his last movie. Yeah. That was 2008. And people don't understand that he had finished filming The Dark Knight and that movie was still filming and still in, and then went into post-production while he was working on this movie. So he was done with that for months. He also did the Bob Dylan movie after The Dark Knight. Um, uh, I can't remember what it's called. Filmed it, but it came out before The Dark Knight. Yeah, but yeah, but he filmed it after The Dark Knight. Because if you watch, there are interviews of him doing press for um, the Bob Dylan movie. And then interviewers would ask him, oh, how's The Dark Knight going? And he's like, oh, it's done. We finished that a while ago. I'm, I finished it a long time ago. Yeah, so he, he probably finished his scenes before everyone else, most for the yeah. main cast-wise. Yeah. And oh, what's it called? That's a great movie because, again, similar situation where a bunch of different I'm actors, not there. Yeah, I'm not there. A bunch of different characters play yeah, Bob Christian Dylan. Bale's in Kate it. Kate Blanchett. Kate Blanchett won the Oscar for Best Supporting Actress because she played Bob. She was the best Bob Dylan. She so looked, she's yeah. great. She's awesome. Yeah, she, she did an awesome job. Looks just like him. Yeah. So it's like, it's just ridiculous that, like, do better research. It's like, you didn't even look it up yourself. Everyone, everyone has to be right. It's amazing it's, how it's if, amazing if how they, people try to prove you wrong. I think it's right, so that means it's right. <laughs> it's That's right in my in my heart. It's right. <laughs> Fuck you. <laughs> Unsubscribed. No, you can do it. Unsubscribed. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> Troll voice. <laughs> All right. Uh, biggest supporter of the week. We have two. We have Nate Moore and Sergio Estrada. These two have been patrons since for like nine months, and they're awesome. So we thank you it. so much to you guys for. For being longtime supporters, and we really appreciate your support and continued support for the future. Yeah, the Patreon helps us out big time, and, and the memberships are only two dollars, five dollars, and ten dollars. But we put so much content on there for you all. We do. We're gonna start doing Zoom calls too. Like, yeah, so like all patrons can access yeah. a Zoom call that we'll be hosting. Yeah, yeah but uh, we and we have bonus, uh, episodes, oh, bonus episodes coming out. We just did Dead Poet Society, and we'll have another one a week after. So it's a lot of fun what we have on Patreon. I have a new segment for intermission. It's called Correction of the Day, and this is from Tori Lavin who emailed the show. Because I believe in the Chamber of Secrets or Sorcerer's Stone, I was talking about. We were talking about John Williams' fantastic score, and I mentioned, I brought up that I, we we were talking about the piano that he used, how it sounded very different than what mm. we normally use. And I thought it was a harpsichord, which I was wrong. A harpsichord is actually used in Prisoner of Azkaban. It's that creepy medley that plays for Sirius Black, and it's actually a plucking uh, piano instrument. It's very old. I think it was six, is made in the 1700s, but actually. Thanks to Tori, she re she told us that it's an, an instrument called a celesta. It's a really interesting small keyboard instrument that is pitched two octaves higher than the score you read. So it actually plays at mm. higher octaves than what, you, what you're reading. Oh, nice. I like that. So thank you, Tori, for emailing us the correction. We, we make mistakes. And we're I love it when you make mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> but we're always happy to uh, to point out that we made a mistake and make the correction. We're really happy that you all bear with us during our many mistakes and Anthony's mispronunciations of words, <laughs> <laughs> which are many. Hey, I'm I'm doing a great job. You know what the harpsichord was used for? Was the Rugrats theme? Was it really? Yeah. No. Oh. They used that for that. Dun, 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 dun. Are you sure? Dun, dun, dun. Well, ask, maybe Tori will know better than me. There's but I'm no pretty way sure. that's a harpsichord. It's a harpsichord. Harp. Do you know what? Yeah. Why would they use an old, old piano for that? Ask the composer. We'll have to look into that. Tori, let us know if it's a harpsichord <laughs> or not. I'll bet 10 bucks. Wow, 10 bucks? Yeah. Tori, he's betting $10 with you. 
about this. So with you, <laughs> <laughs> no, with you, James. No, no, you, no. Tori's the expert. No, you gotta pay me ten bucks if I'm right. <laughs> no, you gotta if pay you're me wrong, you gotta pay me double. But if you're wrong, you have to pay. You have to Venmo Tori. I'll Venmo Tori. All right, cool. You're on. <laughs> All right, on this day in film history, uh, this is July eighth, right? Yeah. Um, the pilot of Seinfeld aired. Oh wow, which is pretty incredible. What mm. year was that? Uh, Nineteen. 19- it's got to be like mid nineties, ninety two. I didn't look at the date. Like Sorry, I can't remember. And uh, I have a stream recommendation: The King on Netflix, which stars Timothy Chalamet, and it's a really, really, really underrated film. I love this movie. I thought it was fantastic. Yeah, David Mitchell made that. He's an Australian director. Uh, he did a no, no. I got that wrong. I think he did Outlaw King, and um, but Joel Edgerton wrote it and co-stars in it. Yeah, and uh, Cedric Diggory, aka Batman, aka Robert Pattinson. Is in this movie Batman. too, and he's the he's got the best scenes. I think he's a scene stealer for sure. He's got the best French accent I've ever seen. He's great. I recommend for for my streaming recommendation on Amazon Prime is Heat, which yes. we watched the other night yes. for like the twentieth time. And no matter how many times I watch this movie, I'm like, this movie is so freaking good. It's so well made. Michael Mann made one of the best. I I would say the best, possibly the best crime drama, hands down. The best cops and robbers drama ever made. It's unbelievable. I feel like we've talked about Heat like three times on the show at least, and we haven't yeah. even done an episode on it. People ask about it. We'll we got to do a crime movies episode. I think that would destroy. Yeah. I think people might like that a lot. I agree. Let us know, guys. Do you want a crime movies episode? Oh, they'll want like, it. Top five crime films? For sure. Yeah, for sure. Let's get back into the Goblet of Fire. And we talked about how we have new characters, but also there's some more magic that we hadn't learned about yet. And I think the most important piece of magic is actually a magical object called the port key. And so a port key comes into play in the opening of the film when all the wizards, excuse me, take the port key t- to travel to the Triwizard Tournament. In the book, they go into way more detail how that's all these wizards get to the event to avoid suspicion and, and all these muggles watching them fly on broomsticks and everything. So and it's the same kind of thing as the the um, at, when they go to Diagon Alley in Chamber of Secrets to use the flu powder. It's a way of transporting yourself. Similar, yeah. yeah. So there's other methods not of Because not everyone can apparate. Yeah. At this point, most the kids can't apparate. They're not mature enough to do that spell. Exactly. Great point. Yeah. Which, oh, speaking of apparition, we never really... I, I miss... I, I wish we could have seen them like learning apparition. Yeah, that would have been, yeah. been awesome. Yeah. But anyways, or is that half blood? No, it's order. Or, yeah. But anyways, so the port key takes them to the Triwizard Tournament. Them, but I mean, to the Quidditch World Cup. But then the port key comes into play much more importantly later on in the film when they're in the final... Uh, the maze. The maze, the final match or co- the, the final competition of the Triwizard Tournament. And the cup itself, the trophy, is a port key to the graveyard. And what's cool, the, the maze, they did a... They did a good job with it but there's a lot more to the maze in the books and one of my favorite parts is with the sphinx and, yeah. they, and harry has to solve the riddle there's a lot more to the maze but i think they did a good job of showing how dangerous the maze was itself and how lethal it was and and then uh, obviously victor crumb has the imperious cur- curse upon him and, and is, is preventing the other students from um making it through the maze and allowing harry access but ultimately it's one of my the things that I wanted to see was more stuff that they had in the books for the maze. Yeah, the, the maze is a cool place. It's it's an interesting challenge, and there's a lot more into it, like the books, like you said, versus like just him being in, in a maze. Yeah. yeah, there's an maze, and there's like some spooky music and wind coming <laughs> <laughs> in the vines. <laughs> but also, the Victor Crumb thing should really give you a hint as to what's about to happen because Victor he takes out Florida the core, 
but then he points his wand at Harry and does nothing to Harry. Yeah. At first, we don't really... When you watch this for the first time or read it for the first time, you don't really know what's happening. And, like, why isn't he hurting Harry? Yeah, why, is he, exactly. why is he letting Harry go? Because yeah. he's under the imperius of, we can assume, to be Barty Crouch Jr. Mm-hmm. Junior. <laughs> but also, to go back to the second challenge, the dragons is great because... Well, the first challenge is dragons, which is epic. And watching Harry fight the dragon... Well, get his broom and then... The, the, the sequence of him being chased by the dragon all over Hogwarts Castle in the sky, it's the best part of the movie, I think, besides the Voldemort rebirth. Yeah. But it's it's epic, and it looks fantastic. He's getting chased by a freaking dragon. Yeah. And I love—we talked about this when we watched it last, that at every challenge, no one gets to watch any of the events. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so Harry flies away, and they're like, oh, I guess we'll just sit around and wait for him to come back. Hope he doesn't die. The Black Lake and the Mer people, they're all just on the top. Like, I guess we'll wait for them to come up from the water. And then the maze, like, I guess they're, we'll just wait for them to come out of the maze. Yeah, they should have, like, set up cameras all over the place so they can watch them on TV hey, screens. there are no cameras in the Wizarding World. Come on, man. They could have, though. We've talked about this before. <laughs> no, there's no cameras. It was Star Wars we were talking about. Yeah. How in Star Wars movies, there's no cameras on the ships, and that's why the characters are able to, like, move through the ship secretly without anyone seeing them. Anyways, <laughs> Alora. But the Black Lake is a really good scene because we talk about a lot in on all these Harry Potter episodes, the character of Harry just shows more and more through these difficult endeavors and challenges. And But what I mean is when he tries to save more than one person at the bottom of the lake, he tries to save two people because his friend is Ron, obviously is there to save Ron, but Hermione is also his friend too. And, and so Flora's he's the sister. And he's the first. No, no Victor saves Hermione. No, but he, he tries to. Yeah. She's my friend. Too. Or no. No, no. Vic- oh, yeah. V- Victor saves her immediately. You're right. You're yeah. right. Uh, but he, okay, so he's the first one to the people who are obvious, which is also crazy. Like, they put all these people, kidnap them, and put them at the bottom of the lake. That's, yeah, like, they're going to die if they don't get saved. That is child abuse. Yeah. Like, what the hell, Hogwarts? <laughs> Dumbledore is okay. They're like, oh, Dumbledore needs to see you. All right, you're you're going under the water. You're going under the water. <laughs> Stupefy. I, ho- I hope they save you. <laughs> I don't know what to tell you if they don't. <laughs> so, yeah, he tries to save. Um, Floor's sister. Floor's sister and Ron. So he does say Floor's sister. Yeah. But also, he does say she's my friend, too. At first, he tries to save her mind. Before Victor gets there. Yeah, Yeah, so we're we're both right. Yeah. She's my friend, too. (laughs) But that shows Harry's character that even though he's the first one there, he could easily come in first place. He decides to stay to make sure everyone gets saved. His moral fiber. He's selfless. Yeah, once again, the selfless quality of Harry comes into play every single movie. His sacrifice and... Willingness to save others over and over again. It's great. But Cedric wins that challenge. Then him and Cedric, by the time of the third challenge, they're equal. So they get to enter the maze first at the same time and go together. Yeah. Kind of for a little bit. Yeah. Hold hands and just run <laughs> through the maze. <laughs> I always, You know what would have been cool if they put Jack Torrance in the maze? <laughs> oh, my God. That would be so funny. <laughs> so don't you make a YouTube editor of that? I, I love that in Ready Player One when they go to the whole Shining VR. Oh, we got so much we fun. We got to do an episode of that. Y'all want a Ready Player One podcast? I think that would be super fun. People would love it. All right, before we get back into the episode, I have to tell you all about MoviePosters.com. It's the number one place to get your posters online. Don't go to Amazon.com. I know it's free shipping, but the quality is not even close to MoviePosters.com. They've teamed up with us to offer a very special promo code. Use Raiders of the Lost at checkout to get 15% off your order today. If you're checking out our set like James is showing you, it's decked out with these amazing posters. All they do is, like, they'll ask us, what do you want? We send them our list of movies, and they send them over to us. And these posters look fantastic. If you're a fan of movies, if you're a fan of TV shows or pop culture, there's no better way to express that love than by decking your place out with a ton of posters. And the best place to do that is at MoviePosters.com. Again, use our promo code Raiders15 to get 15% off your order today at MoviePosters.com. And also, uh, Cedric Diggory... 
he is a he's a great student in the school, and I think I don't think anyone anyone seen Bar Pats in anything before this. I think this might have been his Twilight. first. Twilight. No, this is before Twilight. Was it before Twilight? Twilight was in 08. Oh man, you're right. Yeah, he, yeah, he's still pretty young in this. Holy crap. Yeah, but I think I think this was his first major role. He's as awesome Cedric. in it. He's good. And Cedric is actually in Prisoner of Azkaban, but it's a different actor. He's the other Quidditch, uh, Quidditch player. Yeah, the other Quidditch player. Yeah, and um, the seeker. Cedric's got to be the only cool person from Hufflepuff <laughs> of all time. <laughs> no offense, Hufflepuff people. It's yeah. just a joke. But in the books, uh, girls are obsessed with him. Yeah, he's, well, he's like the most popular kid in school. He's the best looking kid in school, yeah, too. Yeah, he's the best looking, most talented, and the girls all love him. Everyone loves him. Yeah, who yeah. doesn't love Robert Pattinson? Yeah. It's Batman. Yeah, exactly. And also, we get more politics in this one. We get the ministry and the ministers, and also when we go to the Pensy, we see what like a trial is like for Death Eaters, and, and they have... Kakarov in that crazy spiky cage. Yeah. Pretty intense. But <laughs> I love how they she slowly expands on the scope book by book, movie by movie. And we're understanding that there's a whole society outside of Hogwarts. We're learning with each film and that the, the world is bigger than we can even imagine. And JK and the filmmakers, they set up Order of the Phoenix so well with the politics in terms of the fact that Dumbledore at the end reveals to the entire school that Voldemort is back because he 100% believes Harry. He trusts Harry. And he sees the signs, of course. And he says that Cedric was killed by him. But the Ministry refuses to believe that. And we'll learn in Order of the Phoenix that they they create campaigns saying that everything's fine. Voldemort's not back. It's very reminiscent of politics in our real world. That mm. the, the government's always trying to cover things up and hide things from the public and only showing you things to make you happy. Or uh, It's ironic. They also show you things that want to scare the crap out of you. So why not use Voldemort? Yeah, but, for their own benefit. Yeah, But they, they refuse to believe it. And Cornelius Fudge will, will, until the end of the Order of the Phoenix, that's when he finally accepts it. When he li- literally sees Voldemort. He's back. He's back. He's not back. <laughs> well, I think the Yule Ball is a lot of fun. The Yule Ball It's a really is good time yeah. because, like we talked about earlier, but also the characters and Hermione goes with Victor Crumb and that whole back and forth with Ron and Hermione because we start to see Ron's developing a crush on Hermione, which was slowly building and building. At and, the end of chamber. Yeah. And they shake hands. And, yeah, he's like, oh, well, I don't want to hug you. <laughs> and um, so Ron, because he's so terrified to admit his feelings to Hermione— He'd rather ridicule her and and not accept the fact that maybe they should go to the Yule Ball together. And then Hermione gets asked by Victor Crumb, which he can't believe. And then Harry and Ron, uh, they go with the Patil twins, which something that upsets me about this entire franchise is the Patil twins, they're supposed to be identical, but they're played by not identical twins. And also, they're supposed to be in different houses. One's in Gryffindor and the other's in Ravenclaw, and they're both in Gryffindor, so it's just like... It's just lazy. Like, yeah, yeah, whatever. (laughs) They're like, no one's gonna care. They don't even look alike. They they don't look anything. Well, yeah, I mean, kind of. They look like they could be sisters, yeah, not twins. They, may, maybe I mean, kind of. Look maybe like sisters. sisters yeah. yeah, maybe distant cousins. Yeah. But I think one of the better parts about the U Ball is that they have modern music, like the band is playing like punk rock yeah. and, and like alternative rock. Whereas you originally maybe it would have been like classical music of some kind. Yeah, but like we get flutes. We get great comic relief with Ron and his dress robes. It's just a really funny oh my sequence. God. He's like, what are those? <laughs> They're for you. <laughs> You're so all right. <laughs> I look like my great aunt Tilda. Smell like her too. <laughs> but I, yeah, the U ball is necessary for. I think it was a great addition by J.K. to have. Yeah, it's a great, it's a great like little love triangle between Ron, Hermione, and Victor because Ron is a huge fan of Victor Crumb, and even in the book, he has a miniature model of Victor Crumb that like moves and stuff like that. Yeah, she's like. 
She's like, one minute ago you wanted his autograph, and now now you don't like him. He's not just an athlete; he's an artist. <laughs> <laughs> Though he flies through the air. <laughs> what else do we got? I'm sure I'm missing. Oh, Mad Eye Moody. Mad Eye. So when we finally learn about the truth of Mad Eye Moody, so Harry comes out of the the maze and he tells Dumbledore what happened after he brings Cedric's body back. After he, he uh, escapes from Voldemort with the help of his of his mother and father and and the souls of of the lives that Dumbledore, Dumbledore had taken. And Cedric, yeah. And um, he takes the body back, and then Moody rushes him away. And up to this point, we're still not really suspicious of Moody. And but there's that one scene earlier in the film when Harry's in there and they're talking about how he's gonna defeat the dragon, how he's gonna do that challenge. And he's looking around his office, and he takes his leg off, and. And all of a sudden, that chest starts to move and screams like, you wouldn't believe me if I told you what was in there. Yeah. But then we find out that the real Mad-Eye Moody is actually inside that chest. So that guy spent an entire year living inside the bottom of a chest. That sucks. That's terrible. Yeah. And Poor we, guy. We thought Mad-Eye was like an alcoholic, always sipping alcohol. It's not it was, pumpkin it was, juice. Yeah, it was always, it was always just uh, polyjuice potion. So that's a really important fact for when we find out that it was actually Botty Crouch Jr. <laughs> but uh, David Tennant added that. That facial tick where he like sticks his tongue out, yeah, like that, and that was uh, something he added personally, and they used for the film. It's a brilliant way of showing um, that Mad Eye really was him. Once he does that, because when Barty Crouch saw that, then he was like, "Oh, I think that's my son." And then Barty was taken yeah. out. Yeah, done. Also, we have to bring up Sirius Black because Sirius is actually in this movie very little screen time. Yeah. The really only time we see him talk is it's in the fireplace. But also the fact that Sirius is out there. He's with Fluffy. What are they calling Buckbeak? Are they calling him Fluffy? I don't think so. They, call, they give him a nickname yeah. in the book. Um, but Harry's exchanging letters with him, talking about his nightmares, talking to him in the fireplace. And it's really cool to actually get the this relationship of Harry and his godfather. There's building. a lot more of it in the book. Yeah, yeah. but it's, it's really nice to see that relationship growing. He plays a great fireplace. <laughs> <laughs> Keep your friends close, Harry. <laughs> great as embers. <laughs> Very convincing as being 400 degrees. But I, this is one where I was like, I wish we could have seen more Gary Oldman the first time I saw it. But again, there's, yeah, there's only so much he can really do. He's not really in the book. Not really. Yeah, but it would have been cool to see him writing just wherever he was, writing a, wherever writing he was, a, writing a letter, wherever he was, I want to see what his living situation was like. He's living in a cave with Buckbeak. <laughs> yeah, exactly. You don't need to That'll shoot that. See. That's kind of unnecessary. Nah, it's very necessary. <laughs> just to feed your need to see Sir, to see Gary Oldman's face. All right, I think that covers pretty much everything. I'm sure we're missing some stuff, but I think let's yeah, let's move into our um, superlative. Oh wait, one real quick thing is what the the. The graveyard scene, we have the return of the Death Eaters, mm-hmm. and we see Lucius there. And it's a great concept where Voldemort's talking about how no one came to find him, really. And even though there were signs and whispers, Lucius still refused to do it. So Lucius is like all these Death Eaters who were too afraid to go find Voldemort and help him rise to power, but are coming back pretending like they're loyal people. It will, the, we'll, we'll see that in Deathly Hollows when it becomes to the point where... Lucius is just hor- like horrified by Voldemort and and hates his life now because Voldemort is using his home, takes his wand from him, and just destroyed his entire life. And so I think that v- Lucius is always afraid of things like that happening, and that's why they never seeked out to bring Voldemort back. Yeah, I can finally touch you. <laughs> I can touch you now. All right, let's do superlatives. Who is your MVP? Brendan Gleeson as Mad-Eye Moody. This guy steals the show. He's so good in it. 
Great, great pick. I picked the uh, visual effects department because with this film, the, the visual effects are always very good in the Harry Potter movies, but this one, it's just not, like, even, it, it's leaps and bounds better than Azkaban. I mean, you talk about the 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 dragon, the Triwizard Tournaments, like, everything the about people, it. The underwater the sequences. People, yeah, uh, Voldemort's rebirth. The, the visual effects in this movie are unbelievably good and really made the movie something special. And there's a lot to do, yeah. especially, like, not even just the Mer people, but even um, Morning Myrtle's visual effects have, yeah. have leaps and bounds increased have gotten so much better too is that sequence when the Harry bath, has yeah. to take the egg into the bath to try to actually understand the clue. Yeah. So her effects are even way better than they were in yeah. Chamber of Secrets. Yeah, the maze. I mean, so there's so many visual effects in this movie and I think that that sequence with the dragon is absolutely stunning. It's um, It looks so good. And so I, you guys say the visual effects were the real MVPs of this movie because there was a lot to do and they made it work. What's your best scene? Graveyard scene. Yeah. It's a, it's like 20 minutes long and it's yeah. epic. And yeah. It's so fascinating to watch Voldemort walking around and strolling and attacking Harry and just again we learn so much more about him and his personality and the death eaters and and his rise to power. Oh Harry, I almost forgot you were here. <laughs> Harry, I almost forgotten you were here. <laughs> yeah, I picked the same scene. It's unbelievable. <laughs> best shot. I would say the shot when Voldemort touches Harry's forehead. Uh, they do a Dutch angle, and Ray Fine's performance is just really creepy and also kind of tongue-in-cheek funny. At yeah. the same time, he's like, ah, ah, He's like ah. groaning in pleasure. <laughs> uh, I picked um, the rebirth of Voldemort, so like when Pettigrew finally puts all the ingredients in and, and dumps them in, and then like the cauldron melts away, and then there's like that Yeah. Oh, yeah, the camera's noise. doing like a, a yeah, pan around. It's really cool, yeah. and then he's just turned into a, a being and a figure, and he has his own body now. It was smart they did one take with that. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Best line. I mean, no, best actor. Rafe Fiennes. Rafe Fiennes. And it's yeah. Rafe, everybody. He's, it's he's, not Ralph. He's, he's Welsh, so yeah. it's pronounced Ra- Rafe. Yeah. Rafe Fiennes. He's, he's, he's the man. Yeah. Best line. Oh, my God. I've killed Harry Potter. <laughs> Neville Longbottom. <laughs> Neville. <laughs> I, I put, I can touch you now. <laughs> we should just do an entire yeah. podcast of doing Rafe Fiennes Voldemort impressions. Yeah, that would be it. We could do a ton. <laughs> We would just crack ourselves up the whole time. All right, let's uh, do some fun facts. I got some. Let's go. Director Mike Newell was not aware that Alan Rickman wore black contact lenses for the role of Snape until one day when he was complimenting uh, Rickman on the amazing shade of his eyes. Rickman then leaned over and popped out one of the contact lenses to reveal his true eye shade. The the elves Dobby and Winky were cut from the film for time constraints. So Winky is actually in the opening scene at the Quidditch World Cup and she's the one who finds Harry's wand and the Ministry of Magic believes that she at first that she's the one that cast the dark mark in the sky in the book and so she's a really important character in the film because this also leads to um, Hermione creating spew in the books too and Dobby's also in this book as well and I believe this is when Dobby starts to work at Hogwarts in the kitchens and stuff like that so he's actually comes in at different points but they had to cut it. He becomes a line cook. Yes. <laughs> so they had to cut it. I mean, like I, like we said, this is the first book that is double the length of Prisoner of Azkaban. So, like, they got to put this into a three hour, less than three-hour movie. So it's a lot to get in. It's already a lot of new characters. Mm-hmm. Right. The underwater scenes were shot in a huge purpose-built tank with a blue screen background. Daniel Radcliffe alone logged around 41 hours and 38 minutes underwater during the course of filmmaking. That's wild. Yeah, that's a lot of, lot of time underwater. 
Although it's not explained in the movie, Flor Delacour is described as part Vila in the books. Vila in the Potterverse are magical nymph-like beings that have the ability to charm men. Flor actually has a strand of her Vila, Vila grandmother's hair as the core of her wand. And that's also in the scenes of the Quidditch World Cup where the Irish and then it's the, the Russians or what are the Durmstrangs? Where, where's the victor from? I can't remember. The Bulgarians. Yeah, Bulgarians. So the Irish yeah. and the Bulgarians have their own mascots, and the Irish have the leprechauns. This is in the book. And the Bulgarians have the Vilas come out, which distract, like, the referees and distract all the men in the audience. And, like, even Ron and Hermione are like, oh, my God, I, they're, like, about to jump over the railing yeah, to yeah. go to the, see the Vilas. Mm-hmm. So that's why in, in Flor de la Cor is, like, everyone has her eye. In, everyone has eyes for Flor. She's the most beautiful woman in the world, probably, they, people say. But also because she's part Vila. Yeah, exactly. Rafe Fiennes was not wearing any makeup to cover his nose in the film. In order to make the character scarier, the editors digitally removed his nose. Pretty interesting. Yeah. They so in the in behind the scenes photos, he just has like black dots all over his face. Yeah. And so also Alfonso Cuaron was actually offered the chance to direct this film as well, but he declined because Again, it takes a long time to make a movie, and he was still working on post-production of Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban when this movie was in pre-production. So it's almost impossible for—it would have almost been impossible for him to do that. But they figured out with David Yates, and David Yates made multiple back-to-back films. Yeah, I think it's because they made four already. They understood what, like, the workload would be like. And I'm sure they surrounded him with a lot of people to help. Yeah, I'm sure they increased, like, more— Maybe not more producers because I think it was still just that one guy. But probably a ton of assistant directors and like ADs and stuff. Other people picking yeah. up shots and scenes. Yeah. Because it's a Second lot of work. Unit. It's a lot yeah. of work. Victor Krum only has two lines in this entire movie, totaling 20 words. 20 words? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's wild. The studio originally wanted The Goblet of Fire to be broken up into two films that would be released a, a few months apart. But Mike Newell decided like it would work better as one movie. Eventually, they did that with Deathly Hallows. But I think that he made the right choice. I think it's it it wouldn't have been the same as two movies. Both films would have been kind of incomplete. I think. Yeah. And speaking of like when we talked about earlier, how there's a different look in this film, like the the long hair. Daniel Radcliffe, he arguably looks the most like Harry Potter, the book version in all the movies because of. The messy hair, the long messy hair that looks like he just got off a broomstick. He and can't like in the books. He like he can't fix it. Yeah. It, so it's it's kind of like that. His father had the same thing too. So this probably is like the most accurate look of Harry Potter compared to the books. Yeah, you're probably right. Uh, digital spot remo- a digital spot removing technique was used to digitally remove ac- acne from the actors because obviously they're going through puberty and so. They tried makeup, but makeup tests didn't really work out. They didn't think it looked great, so they digitally removed the actor's acne. Wow, that's weird. Because yeah. we actually just watched Dead Poet Society recently for a bonus episode, and they the kids clearly have real acne. They didn't yeah. like cover it up or anything. Yeah, Peter Weir, I think, wanted to show that. Rosamund Pike was the first choice for the role of Rita Skeeter, but she declined because she believed it was only a very small part and would require her to, to return for the fifth movie as well. Um, she later regretted not accepting the park because she would have loved to work with director Mike Newell in, in the movie. Mm-hmm. I'm sure once she saw it, she's like, oh, man, that would have been so fun. Yeah. Oh, well. You, I guess you she, don't. She you did don't pretty really, good. You don't really know, but she, Roseman's awesome. Yeah, she, I mean, she wound up. Gone okay. Girl is one of my favorite movies the last 10 years. Two-time Oscar nominee, so she's doing all right. She's all right. Yeah. Let's see. What else do we have? I'm out of trivia facts. Yeah, I think that's all I got, too. Yeah. Um, so thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of Raiders of the Lost Podcast on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire. Make sure to become a patron today to support us at patreon.com slash Raiders of the Lost Podcast. Subscribe, 
follow, hit the notification bells wherever you're listening. Leaving those five-star reviews is super helpful as well. And stay tuned for next week. We'll be doing Order of the Phoenix and something special on Monday. Take care, everyone. Raiders of the Lost podcast is a Mirror Image production. Sound mixing done by Jacob Kosler. Opening music by Chase Jackson.